0: Hey, it's Ian, one of the Faction Podcast hosts. We're back. We've been away for a bit for a couple of reasons. Most notably, Trent is very busy at the moment opening his new store, Plenty of Games. But they're now open in the CBD, so go check them out. It is a fantastic space with a great team, running lots of events, and they've got good stock of all sorts of games and TCGs. We've also had Kyle move to Western Australia for a little bit, and the rest of us have just been pretty busy with life stuff. But we're back for a little bit. We've got two episodes dropping this week first up we've got an older episode which was recorded shortly after our faction invitational back in may sorry it took me so long to edit that one and secondly we've got the first episode in a slight refocusing of the podcast with the regional championship qualifier season starting soon we're shifting our attention to the pioneer format these episodes will be slightly shorter and they'll be a bit more focused on our preparation results and analysis of local events so for the first episode frequent guest nathan whalen joined me for a bit of an overview of the format The decks you can expect, and some tips for paper events. I'm hopeful that with slightly shorter episodes, I will more easily find time to edit them, and we will return to weekly or near-weekly episodes. And don't worry, we will continue to find time for off-topic rambling and nonsense. We're not robots. So if you're still listening, thanks for sticking with us, and enjoy the episode. Oh, and one more thing, if you're planning to play regional championship qualifiers in Victoria, we've compiled all the events into an online calendar, so check out the links in the description for more info.
1: <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Faction Podcast. I'm here. I'm Ian, and this week I've got Nath back on as a guest. Welcome to the pod, Nath.
1: Hello. Yeah. Thanks. We're well, glad to be back.
0: Yep. So Nath is on this week uh, to talk a bit about Pioneer with the regional championship qualifiers firing up in about a month from now. We're really looking into this format now, and I know both Nathan and I have played a fair bit of the format, so we're going to go over our experiences recently and a little bit of a primer into the format. What decks to look out for, what decks to expect, what decks you might want to look into picking up and learning, perhaps. First, though, a bit of a recap of last weekend's events. So, the major event that was on for us, I think there was a Highlander event that one played in the on the Saturday. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I actually don't remember how he did, but... I'm sure he did well, right? Oh, actually, no, I think from memory he played High Tide and it went poorly. <laughs> yes, that's my recollection of uh, his update as well. Okay, never mind. Uh, well, good on you for trying new things, Swanee. We admire your ingenuity. As for us, we played Bionair at Maze on the Sunday. Uh, only a small turnout, we ended up with nine people, I think, and three faction players, myself, yourself, and Brayden, which was good to see the turnout as we start to ramp up.
1: Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how many players I expected, but once everyone sat down, it kind of made sense. You know, a lot of these cards people just won't have access to after being in lockdown for so long. So 9 was probably a pretty good warm-up, uh, pretty good for a warm-up considering, you know, we're still a month away from it, from it really mattering.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've only really played monthlies in Highlander at Maze, and they're normally closer to about 16, I'd say, or maybe slightly under. So in my mind, I think I was expecting that, but you're right, I hadn't thought about it and thought about the fact that, Like, I mean, I only have cards from this because I bought them specifically for the RCQ season, you know, like over the last week, I literally last (laughs) weekend ran around. So I had like an order arrive and then on Friday night, I went to Pog after the football and then went from there Saturday morning, went to Ringwood to pick up some cards and then also picked up cards on Sunday from Mays for this deck. And I was frantically sleeving it with Nate's help (laughs) right before the event started. So, yeah, absolutely. People just don't have cards for this format yet, I think.
1: Yeah, and why would you? You know, Pathways, it's not really a modern thing. I don't know how many people are playing Standard at the moment, so, yeah. Yeah,
0: and there's a decent number of cards that have been printed over the last two years, sort of during COVID, where we weren't even really drafting in paper. So, there's a lot of cards where it's like, I don't even have these from paper drafts.
1: Buy your Pathways now. That's what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say buy your pathways, but you probably don't need four of each. Like, unless you're, if you play a two-color deck, you play all four of them. But most of my three-color decks, I actually have been trying to not build with too many pathways because they are interesting as mana fixing. Because, you know, obviously once they're in play, they don't tap for a different color of mana. So especially for the sort of xeroxy like, low-to-the-ground decks that, like, have really color-dense casting costs, so they don't have very much generic mana, um, they can actually be a little bit tricky.
1: Definitely something to get used to, for sure. You know, you're playing on the wrong side, you could lose a game. It doesn't happen with uh, a lot of the other dual lands, so, yep.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, like, thinking several turns ahead, especially in three-color decks, being like, so I'll play this land, and I'll play that <laughs> one, and then my more, like, there's, it is more complicated, and you don't have to deal with mm. it in fetch land formats. You just get the dual, and it's, like, easy. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So, yeah, that warm-up was really good. Uh, obviously, uh, having access to playing Paper Pioneer for the first time... In a competitive sense, I mean, I think I I was one of, uh, again, 10 or 11 people at at plenty of games on on the Thursday beforehand for my actual first warm-up, I guess. But, um, you know, first competitive event where there's, uh, you know, some reasonably large prizes on the line uh, with with store credit. Um, It was really nice to, yeah, get in and sling some cardboard. So uh, I think, uh, Ian, uh, we both made the the top four,
0: uh, and then you got your revenge, I think, on me uh, (laughs) from the Swiss. I did, I did, yeah. Definitely some Rust playing in paper for oh. the first time. I know, as you mentioned, we played twice, and there was definitely some missed triggers, I think, on both sides of our match. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of shortcutting as well. I really enjoyed when you had a Hearse in play, and I would just, like, toss two cards across onto your side of the field at the end of every turn. Like, I wouldn't even put it... I'd, like, put it in my graveyard and then just, like, throw it on top of your hearse.
1: (laughs) It was funny uh, watching the other people watching our game, seeing that happen and being like, "Oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, it's fine. We we know each other.
0: (laughs) Especially in the semi-final. Everyone was being like, so this is, like, semi-final, playing for a bit of money. You guys are just kind of, like...
1: Being, being cool, all right, fine. <laughs> it did get very serious towards
0: the end. Yes, we were joking around, and then the last few turns of game three were very close, and we were both like deep in the tank, completely silent.
1: Yeah, I could hear the gears groaning in both of our brains. So uh, yeah, a tough one. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely feels sweet to get my revenge after losing. Like we actually had six really good games, I think. Yeah, we did. Because I won my first round, then got paired against you. As is. To be honest, it's not that surprising a nine-person event where I had two teammates, right? <laughs> no. Like, got paid against you, lost a close one, and then got paid against Brayden, who had borrowed yeah, or bought yeah, mono yeah. Green off you, which is mm-hmm. not a super great matchup. And I was like, well, guess I'm going to do the old win round one and then just get double team killed out of the tournament. Mm. Uh, but I managed to prevail over him and then, yeah, met you again in the semis.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sweet event. I know two people playing the same deck, which is fantastic after, you know, playing online and, you know, playing four rounds of uh monogreen mirrors. So Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal.
0: We ended up with so you played Blue Red Delva. Yes. I played Esper Humans. Braden played Monogreen, and then there was a blue white control, a blue black control, a blue black flash, which ended up in the finals losing to me, Colorless Ramp and um Oh, I played against Red Black Midrange. Okay, yep. And something else. I don't remember what. Lots of blue decks, though. Lots and lots of blue decks. Lots of blue decks. Yeah, so in the end, I ended up taking that down, beating Blue Black Flash on the finals, which that finals was very uninteresting, to be honest. After, like, an epic, I, I think it was at least an hour of me and you playing, Yes. my Blue Black Flash opponent crushed his semi-files opponent and then watched us for about half an hour.
1: Yeah, I feel for him, he uh, yeah, didn't get to play a lot of magic in that final.
0: No, he like, mulled to 6 game 1 and missed his second land drop, and then mulled to 5 and couldn't hit his 4th land drop, and I just like, perfectly curved him out, like 1, two, three, four. One of the games I went like, one drop into top decked Dahlia's Lieutenant after his thought sees me, into like, a magic Creature twice or something. It was just like, not actually a game of magic, really. Yeah, it was disgusting. But, uh, you know, fair play to him. Made the final. Uh, The deck was super interesting. Yeah, it was. It was really cool, actually, the bits I saw of it. It seemed like it combined sort of a few of the weaknesses of Monogreen together, which we will talk about, but definitely a good place to be at the moment. Mm -hmm. So with that, given this is sort of the first episode of this new focus, uh, with a bit of a pioneer focus, we thought we would go over the meta. In future episodes we'll probably just give a little bit of an update on meta shifts, but for this first one of course we need to set the the ground, I guess, and lay out the foundations. So I will say with Pioneer, there are actually quite a lot of viable decks at the moment. It's actually a pretty good time to be involved in the format. Obviously there were bans a month ago now. A month? A little bit less, I think, but yeah, Brandon's been around about it. With Winoda and Expressive Iteration getting banned. Um, and now I would say the format is actually a really interesting sort of balanced. There are definitely best, like, better decks, but there are a fair number of viable decks. And we've actually seen, looking at, like, mostly Magic Online data, because those are the main tournaments we have access to now, we have seen some metagame churns start to happen, which is good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the line share of the meta seems to be changing and evolving, which is always the, you know, sign of a healthy format. For
0: sure. The first deck, though, the big, the big <laughs> boogeyman of the format, is mono green devotion. Nathan, I know you've played quite a lot of this deck, so I might let you give us a bit of an overview of what this deck is and why it's so good. Yeah, I've played an obscene amount of this deck.
1: Um online, uh I think I think it is clearly, you know, the number one seed if we were to, you know, rank all these decks, this is the one that you have to come prepared for. Uh, I guess more than everything else if you want to win a tournament. Um, you know, it combines Oh, an insane late game with, um, you know, some of the best ramp cards, playing eight elves and and some of the other two drop uh, choices you have, where you know you can put fifteen per, uh, mana worth of permanents into play on turn four, and I, I've done that before. I think my personal record is casting six storm the festivals on turn four. So gross. So I haven't beaten that one yet, but that that's that's obscene. How how is <laughs> how is a legacy deck supposed to beat that? Let alone uh, let alone something that's competing in pioneer, you know. So um, I think that's that's the best, but uh. I think it is really important um that, that missed the ban and also hasn't just dominated the format. You know, it hasn't won a whole lot of challenges lately. Um there are a lot of decks that are, you know, changing cards in their sideboards and their main boards to be more competitive and you know, um my, my you know, dominance or what the the perceived dominance of that deck just hasn't kinda of come to come to form. So
0: Yeah, so as a brief overview, this is it is a monogreen ramp deck that uses, obviously, the eight Lanarils, which is one of the most powerful things you can do in the format, alongside things like um, War of the Spark Yorah to untap lands, Wolf Haven to ramps, some carry added, and then the payoffs are Cavalier of Thorns, which is adds a load of devotion, but more importantly, it digs you five cards towards Nyctos and can also millstorm the festival, which is like a, a big collected company for permanence, basically. And then from there, you you are just this huge ramp combo deck, which can use Kiora to untap Nykthos, and Nykthos can just generate huge amounts of mana. Like, it's it's not uncommon to have, you know, 10, 20, eventually 30 while you're comboing off Devotion to Green. And so you have this one land that taps for so much mana. And then we should note as well, there is actually a convoluted infinite combo involving <laughs> Khan and Kiora. So it's not even like you put all this stuff in play, and then your Lotus Field opponent untaps and kills you, because a lot of the time you just you kill them the turn you go off as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the deck's kind of two halves, right? One is making a whole bunch of mana, and the other one is abusing it. So, um, yeah, definitely the best way to do that is uh, put a Nycthas in a plane and untap it, you know, three or four times. So, uh, very good. Um, the infinite combo, you can look it up. It's uh, its pretty convoluted until you've done it once, uh, and then, then it makes sense. It's uh, much nicer in paper than online, but for anyone uh, concerned
0: about that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It involves uh, Pestilent Cauldron. That's right, yeah. Which... Is is an artifact from Strixhaven, I think. And it's like a, it's a cauldron. It's a black artifact. And you can like <laughs> tap it to mill your opponent based on how much life you've gained this turn, I think, from memory. That's right.
1: Yeah. So you need two Kioras, two, two Khans, or there are some other ways to cheat it. But basically, you need two of those so that you can legend rule them. You will search for Khan with Khan for, for the, the cauldron, cast the other side of it. Um, Khan can pick it back up from exile. So you just get that loop going. If you have, uh, I think it's 12 devotion, it's infinite mana, infinite life. You just got to go through the loop.
0: Yep. So the key part there being the backside is restorative burst, which is a five mana sorcery and it gains you four life and returns two. I want to say permanence from your graveyard to your hand. So it's like a big regrowth, right? Seems fine, sort of interesting, rare with some synergy. And then exiles itself so that, you know, you can't abuse it because it's a regrowth, so you can't like loop them. Of course, exiling itself puts it back where Karn can get it, which is how this loop gets going. So it is convoluted. I have no idea who found it. I don't know how they thought this up. How did they like work this out? That like what can we put in the Khan board? Oh, this wacky artifact actually goes infinite if you have twelve devotion and the ki- two Kioras and two Khan's. But like it, it does come up. Yep. Absolutely. The other thing I note about this deck is it's pretty resilient to like removal as well. So a lot of its threats are two for ones. There's low planeswalkers, Kiora draws cards when you play big creatures, and then its creatures are like cavalier of thorns which enters the battlefield and puts a land in play so it's like already kind of up a card and it mills cards so it can mill storm the Vestal. and when it dies you can like exile it to put a card from your graveyard on top of your library
1: just snowballs, yeah
0: yeah so just like they play it and they go up a land and then if you kill it they get to like semi vampiric tutor as well so it's like very good and the other threat is old growth troll which is a three mana four four <laughs> Because cool, which costs three green, which in this deck is an upside, because that's three devotion. And when it dies, it like goes on a land and is like a rampant growth essentially that can also turn to a four-four because I don't know there weren't more words on this card. Yes. Yep.
1: Yeah. All those trolls are free with Nethos. Just something to look out for.
0: Yes. The point being that all of these threats are like kind of resilient to just like point removal as well. So you can you can interact with this deck. A couple times but you have to actually clock them and like take them out quickly as well because otherwise eventually they'll draw storm the festival and put like a planeswalker and a cavalier in play or they'll draw a creature you know like they're pretty resilient yeah absolutely all right so we've talked a lot about that but that is clearly the best deck the one thing it says in paper you might not see a huge amount of it because nycthos is a really expensive
1: the rest of the decks virtually uh, you know inexpensive but cavalier khan and nycthos make up you know i reckon 80 percent of the
0: cost of the deck yeah exactly the next deck, though, is the other end of the spectrum. It's very cheap. It's probably the cheapest of the tier decks, and this is Mono Blue Spirits. This deck is in the next tier, in my mind, principally because it has a fantastic Mono Green matchup. <laughs> um, it is Mono Blue Spirits, so it's a bunch of one-drop spirits like Ascendant Spirit, like um, Rattle, not Rattle Chains. Rattle Chains is a two-mana spirit that's in there, like Mausoleum Wanderer, like spect- Spectral Sailor, Spectral Sailor, yeah, the pirate one, um, the two-mana Spirit Lord. And then it's Curious Obsession and a bunch of counter spells. So they want to do the same thing that the mono blue aggro decks did in standard a few years ago, where they play one drop, they put Curious Obsession on, and then they like counter every spell you play for the rest of the game while killing you with flyers. This is really good against mono green because obviously like your one and two mana counter spells are really good when Monogreen can like just wants to play big haymakers.
1: Yeah, if you count a cavalier, you just don't lose. So um this deck's been uh yeah, phenomenal for for that reason.
0: Yeah, so this deck really jumped up in popularity over the last three ish weeks when it looked like monogreen was gonna be dominant, because it does really beat up on that deck. It has other vulnerabilities, so it's firstly I'd say like the cards in the deck aren't very powerful by themselves, if that makes sense. It's one of those decks where like you really have to play quite well and like line your cards up properly because you don't have any like really powerful haymakers to get you out of a situation and you don't play well from behind at all because your creatures don't block very well, you don't have removal.
1: No, awful. Yeah,
0: It's also really cheap though. It's It has no dual lands. A lot of it is commons and uncommons. So I would say there may well be a fair bit of this at regional championship qualifiers as well. I expect there will be. It does have some weaknesses um, as well to spot removal. So it's quite weak against the next deck on this list, which is Raktos Midrange.
1: Which is doing really well, um, online. Uh surprisingly,
0: I I can't quite figure it out
1: why it's doing so well.
0: Yeah, Raktos Midrange is interesting. It is very much the Jun deck of this format, so if that's your playstyle, this is the deck we would recommend. <laughs> it's all the best removal spells, it's you know, Bone Giants, it's all the best two for one creatures, Graveyard Trespasser, you know, Blood Tithe Harvester, some Planeswalkers, some creature lands, and just like Really trying to grind you out and interact efficiently. Obviously, it's Fatal Push and Thought Tease as well. Um, you're right; that it has very good results online at the moment. I would say it is possibly slightly overrepresented. It's very favored by a lot of the good players, I think, because it it has that classic like very decision dense Jun deck that's like theoretically like fifty two percent versus everyone, and you you don't really have like unwinnable matchups either. You have bad matchups. I think Monogreen's probably a bad matchup.
1: Yeah, they run. Um... They're playing uh, that Invoke Despair card, which is um, crushing Monogreen at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's true, yeah. so New tech? <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. This deck can sideboard to beat most decks, so the way you construct your sideboard and the way you tweak your list week to week will matter a lot with this deck.
1: Yeah, I just don't think you can go wrong. Maybe this is why. Can't go wrong with Thought Season, Fable of Mirror Breaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. if you draw your cards in the right order, you know, if, if with those eight cards in your deck, you kind of have uh, too bad of a time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then the last deck that for me is in this this I guess it's tier two. I still think my brain's in its own tier, but for me, this tier two where like I would expect this deck to be prevalent and probably do pretty well. Right? Um, it doesn't surprise me at all if these win tournaments. Is I, I'm just lumping these as blue red Xerox decks. Um, the reason being the core thing for them is like Treasure Cruise, Opt, Consider, Ledger Shredder, like Cheap Spot Removal, um, previously Expressive Iteration. These used to be the Expressive Iteration decks. And then you can sort of choose what you put around that, whether it's like Arclight Phoenix, whether it's Thing in the Ice, whether it's Delver of Secrets, whether it's Sprite Dragon, that kind of thing. The threats sort of matter less, to be honest, than the core shell, which is I want to cast lots of spells and I want to play Ancestral Recall.
1: Yeah, yeah, Treasure Cruise is a hell of a drug, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, now, if you've also played a fair bit of this, you've, as we mentioned, have been playing Blue, Red, Delva. Do you want to give us a rundown of this sort of family of decks?
1: Yeah, so I've played uh, a little bit of Phoenix and a lot of the, what I would call, Is it Delva deck. So um, the Is a Phoenix deck just seems to get crushed by um, by Greg at 8, whereas the, um, the Delver deck is a little bit more resilient, obviously not worrying so much about the graveyard except for Treasure Cruise. But fundamentally, they've got the same core cool package. You know, you're playing some combination of uh, removal spells. Uh, the common choices at the moment are um, probably Strangle, Flameless Bolt, Fiery Impulse. Fiery Impulse, that's the one that I was struggling for. Yeah, Fiery Impulse or uh, uh, is probably one of my favorite ones. Um, uh, strangle having the, the Planeswalker clause, is really nice. Um, a lot of the Xeroxy cards, so consider Opt um, Charter. Course has been really good for fueling the the graveyard, or maybe strategic planning. Any number of those, uh, and then you just pick how you want to win the game. Really, a lot of them are playing Ledger Shredder anyway. But um, you know, the Phoenix package with the uh, the extra turns is really satisfying. Um, uh, you know that that's a lot of fun having a queuing up two or three turns. But um, I think I think with the uh, the Delva strategy. Having access to, you know, uh, having the room to put spell pierces and lofty denials in the main deck and playing a lot more flying threats, I think, yeah, it's, it's a better pick for the meta in in my opinion, and has quite a lot of love from uh, from aspiring spike who, I uh, who's been playing a lot of uh, pioneer lately as well. So,
0: yeah, I mean, we touched on it already, but counter spells plus pressure is how you beat Monogreen. So being able to play those extra counter spells more easily than in Phoenix where it's sometimes a bit awkward if, you know, you have a spell piece in your hand and you really want to cast that third spell to return your phoenixes. <laughs> this blue red double deck is just a little bit more consistent, a little bit more well positioned against mono green and that is definitely a positive matchup and something of a draw to these blue red decks as they have cheap removal and often counter spells and pressure. So they they're pretty good against mono green. Uh
1: that said, um Lightning Axe is a really good card. Um, Four Toughness is quite a high number. Quite difficult to kill with one card. So that is the the one positive that I think Phoenix has over the other blue-red archetypes.
0: Yeah, for sure. The next tier for me is decks that I think are totally fine. I probably wouldn't... Like, if you're a total spike and you just want to play the best deck, I think that top tier is all decks where, like, there is definitely a meta call where you think that is the best deck for the weekend. These decks below this are decks, I would say, are maybe slightly a little bit behind, in my opinion, and Nath may disagree with me here, but they're still strong, can definitely still win tournaments, and I'm of the opinion that in Pioneer, you should play what you like, because format, knowledge, and experience with your deck does actually matter a lot. It's a bit like old modern, where that stuff does matter, so... You know, if you're a control diehard, you should pick up, like, Blue-White or Blue-White Control, which we're about to talk about, and just learn that deck really well, rather than, you know, trying to learn Monogreen and just hating it. it. It's not worth it. The gap isn't that big.
1: Yep, totally agree.
0: So, Blue-White, Blue-White Control are exactly what they sound like. They are blue control decks using removal, whether it's Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, some amount of, like, Swift End, like Murderous Rider I've seen, Drain in the Lock. Combined with blue card advantage, so dig the time. Memory Deluge is really big. Consider. Sometimes Shark Typhoon. For the white decks, you have like March is... Um, the white March is a good removal spell or Portable Hole. Sometimes Settle the Wreckage. Wandering Emperor fits really well on that deck. But fundamentally, they're exactly what you expect. The one thing to note is the spells aren't very good in this format. There aren't really any good two mana spells, So that is one of their weaknesses. But I'd say... If you want to play creatureless control, these decks are both fine.
1: Yeah, blue-white seems to rely heavily on planeswalkers to, to kind of win the game um, with uh, with their sweepers, uh, especially Farewell being super powerful in the format. Um, all modes always relevant. Yep. Um, so they, they rely heavily on the planeswalkers to, to kind of end the game and turn the corner. Um, the, the blue-black decks also rely on sweepers, but um, obviously being uh, the black uh based sweepers rather than white ones uh and then looking to turn the game on its head with uh you know the big uh, 6 and uh, 7 7 drop creatures you know torrential gearhog holebreaker horror or a big shark typhoon
0: yeah i've seen a low decks that were like one torrential gearhog one holebreaker horror two shark typhoon <laughs> and like that's it those are their win conditions so <laughs> the blue black control deck is probably actually slower like in that there are often like four win conditions in your deck and like one creature land uh, so, they are much more like, I'm going to take over the game completely. Whereas the Blue Eyed Decks are a bit more, as you say, Planeswalker focused. So, they'll usually have like four Wandering Emperor and four Teferi 5. So, there's a lot more like control for a bit, slam a Planeswalker, and now pull way ahead really quickly with that Planeswalker. Wandering Emperor is real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wandering Emperor plus as well settle the wreckage. When your opponent passes with four mana up and you have multiple creatures in play, it is really like a no good choices if if you don't have a read on the hand because if you attack with everything and get settle the wreckage and most decks bear in mind like don't play that many basics unless they're monocolor because there's no blood moon or anything so settle the wreckage often really gets people but if you attack with one creature and they get to like play a wandering emperor that's also terrible so (laughs) they really put you in that bind and they play supreme verdict as well so they really just attack you from a lot of different angles almost next deck on the other end of the spectrum would be mono red this is a burn deck. It's mono red. I don't know what more to say about it.
1: It's dropped off a bit. There are a lot of different flavors. I've seen uh, a lot of people returning to um, uh, Embercleave. uh May the cleave be with you. Um, you know, going a little bit lower to the ground there. So, you know, bringing back that uh that monkey that does the you know sacrifice to do one damage. So, um, you know, it was starting to become trending towards big red to try and compete with. Uh, I don't know, some of the uh, the Winoda decks, the, the mono green decks, um, and maybe to get around a bit of the Rakdos range. But um, with that big meta shift, obviously, with the bands, they seem to be going back in the other direction. So it's it's, it's really interesting. I don't think it's as uh, well positioned as it was when Winoda was around. I think it preyed on Winoda. Um, and I think it's dropped back or shrunk uh, considerably because, uh, because that's disappeared.
0: Yeah, for sure. I would say, as well as a key card, so obviously all the good one-drops are there, all the prowess one-drops, that kind of thing. They're everything you expect. If you haven't played Standard in the last couple of years, you might not know that Chandra Dressed to Kill is a house. That card is so powerful. So that's one of the big draws of I think especially of the lower to the ground decks because the ability to like play it on three, tick up, make a mana, ping your point for one, and then cast a burn spell is really powerful. Yeah, it uh, it uh, triggering um spectacle
1: spectacle. Thank you. Is uh, is phenomenal. Same with uh, Kamano. They've been uh, two huge upgrades for that
0: deck. Next on the list here, I have, still staying aggressive, uh, I have Boros Heroic. Formerly Boros Feather, but most of the best lists don't play Feather anymore, so we're going to call it Heroic. <laughs> Tristan Special, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I know this is what Tristan is playing. This is his deck. This deck's really interesting. It's not as fast as you think it is. Until it is. <laughs> well, yeah, until it is. But so the big thing about this deck is they're not playing, like, plus three pump spells. They're not playing double-stroke pump spells. Their pump spells now are, like, Ancestral Anger, which cantrips and is plus it's it's like a it's like a Kindle variant. It's like plus one plus O and then plus one plus O of each other one in your graveyard. So like, when they draw three of them, you probably die.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Defiant strike, um, anger. They all look to draw cards
0: to replace themselves so they don't just run out of gas. Yep. And then they have protection spells. They usually play like five protection spells. They'll play like four gods willing and the, Shijiri shelter. The land, yes, Shijiri shelter. So they they will often pass with mana up and try and protect. Their creatures as well. They're also the best home for Reckless Rage in this format. Well, best, second best. Blue, Blue Red Delver is also a pretty good home as well, or Blue Red Prowess. But that's one of the big draws to this deck is they're really good at playing Reckless Rage. Yep, like I said, four
1: toughness is, uh, is insane. So being able to just slot that in where it does what your deck wants to do is kind of a you know a slam dunk. Yeah, for sure. It's the kind of deck where they'll just want to sit on yeah, the two mana, protect their threat, slowly chip it away at you, and then if their uh, Virtuoso lives, they'll just get one big attack and then you die.
0: Yeah, so Illuminate Virtuoso is a really important pickup for this deck. This is the double strike two mana creature that connives whenever you target it, so it's really easy to grow it really big and just hit people for huge amounts of damage out of nowhere. The other thing to note, I'd say, is block early when you can because often this deck will kill you from, like, 10-ish with gods willing to get past all of your blockers.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Obviously, as with heroic decks always, it is weak to lots of cheap spot removal, so it, it is very possible to, like, run this deck out of creatures, and then they draw a bunch of combat tricks. Yeah, which is might be why, uh, you know,
1: Rakdos Midrange is um, preying on a few decks at the moment. It's probably really good against mono blue Spirits. It's probably really good against this deck, and I know for a fact it's really good against... Uh... Uh, the uh, the Delva
0: deck as well. So, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, I will say on Rakdos Midrange, that's basically its spot in the format right now, is it's it's generally considered to be a little bit behind Mono Green Khan, although Invoked Despair does make a big difference. So, depending on how many you have those, your sideboard. But it's then, like, pretty solidly favoured against a lot of the things that prey on Mono Green, like Mono Blue Spirits, like Blue Red Delva, like... Boros Heroic is really good against Mono Green because they just don't interact with it very well and you can, God's Willing, pass all of their blockers. So Rakdos is kind of the like level 2 deck in some ways. A new one that's sort of jumped up recently, I'd say, is Rakdos Sacrifice. So this is a deck that's come up pretty recently and it's playing really low to the ground. It did well in a challenge last weekend and has since become pretty popular because it's a bit new. But it's playing a lot of like cheap creatures. So Cat Oven, um, the new... Witness from Streets of New Capenna that when it dies, you like exile the top two cards and you play one of them to your next end step, and it plays like Claim the Firstborn, Deadly Dispute, Village Rights. So all these sacrifice outlets alongside the best threat and effect we've ever seen printed, um, and then it sort of curves up to Mayhem Devil, of course, and also Obnixilus as another sac outlet, and it's just like very much an aggro deck that can kind of grind a little bit.
1: Yeah, it looks cool. I did see. I think Doomwake played it in the first challenge, and then some people uh, must have got it on the same list. But yeah, it looks really, really cool.
0: I would say that's where for me my tier three ends. Of like decks that I think are good. Basically, there are a lot more fringe decks that can definitely spike a tournament, which we might run over quickly. But humans. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, notice we haven't mentioned the deck that I won with last weekend yet. <laughs> but those are the decks that I would recommend if you are coming into the format new, and you want to pick up a deck, I would, I would recommend one of those. I think it was like eight decks, basically. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty ro- wide range of styles there, um, and I think you'll find something you like there.
1: Yeah, flavor for everyone, which yeah. is why I think Pioneer's in a good place, and I'm really glad they picked it for the, for the PT format. Yeah.
0: yeah, for sure. I think there's like, there's some aggro decks, some mid-range decks, there's a ramp deck, there's some control decks. The major thing that's missing is combo decks, but frankly, if you're familiar with the history of Pioneer, you'll know that for most of its existence it has been dominated by combo decks. So that's not the worst thing in the world. Green's got a combo, that counts. Um I mean, I'm a diehard combo player and I will not <laughs> touch mono green, so <laughs> <laughs> heard it here first. Ian is a coward. <laughs> Speaking of combo and decks that I like to play, first fringe deck is Lotus Field. You may know this deck from back when it had Underworld Breach and was busted. But this is a deck trying to put Lotus Field in play, tap and untap it, cast lots of spells, kill your opponent with a wish package. The big thing to note about this deck is it now has Emergent Ultimatum, which is the Salt Eye Ultimatum that lets you like find three monocolored cards and your opponent shuffles one back and casts the other two, which gives a deterministic kill. So there's no more like trying to chain through your deck and twiddle and like storm off. You just cast one spell and it kills your opponent because you get like Omniscience and Tutors and it is deterministic if your lotus field opponent is any good. Big problem with this deck, so firstly it is vulnerable to hate, which at the moment isn't an issue because no one's playing it. But mostly it's just like, probably like a turn too slow against the good aggro decks, and it's really bad against Khan, against mono green and specifically Khan. Other decks, there are spirits variants, you can play blue white or bant spirits. They go a little bit bigger, they play spell color and maybe collect a company if you're playing green. At the moment, I'd say they're just, like, positioned worse than Mono Blue Spirits, basically. Yeah,
1: I think if you're playing
0: Ban, it's because you really want to play Collector Company. Yep, basically. <laughs> Speaking of Collector Company, Humans. Humans has only really come up in the last week and a half, I'd say. I basically, for as a little insight, a week ago, I ordered all of the cards for Esper Greasefang, which is the other deck I love playing. and had been playing for weeks and was totally set on playing the RCQ season with. And then someone sent me a humans list and I had dabbled with humans a couple times beforehand and I was every time I'd play it and be like, this isn't that good. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't. I like would five o league and be like, I can't believe I 5 would that league. Um, and then someone, I don't remember how I saw this list, but I ended up playing uh, Esper humans list and then proceeded to order it all the next day. <laughs> when I turned up to Maze, was it Ma- I think it was Maze I turned up and I was like, yeah, I have an order to pick up. And he's like, oh yeah, this one. And I was like, I think there's some more stuff. And he's like, oh, how many orders was it? I was like, I don't know, like three, maybe four? And he looked at it and he was like, oh, five orders. Cool, here you go. Because I just like ordered all of the Grease Fang stuff and then ordered humans and then I made changes to my list and ordered again and then, you know, like yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) so I ended up with like five different orders over five days. I promise I don't have a problem. (laughs) These decks come in a few different shapes and sizes. They're all tribal human decks. They're all variants of aggro decks. So the most common at the moment is Bant. It's a green-white base but with um, Blue Splash for, like, Reflector Mage and Lagrella. It's basically a human tribal deck. Most of these decks are either playing Collector Company or Pirate Heroes, which is the tribal birthing pod. For Collector Company, it's, it's all just about tempo. They're all just trying to curve 1, 2, 3, and a lot of their creatures are disruptive. They play Thalias, they play Elite Spellbinders, they play Reflector Mage. So they're really just trying to, like, tempo you out. Pyres have a little bit different synergy. The main synergy being Extraction Specialist, which is a new card. And Charming Prince, the way that works is that if you sacrifice a Charming Prince to pod it into an Extraction Specialist, the Specialist gets back the Prince, which then flickers the Specialist to get back something else. So what you've done is you've turned your Prince into a Prince, a 3-2 Lifelinker, and whatever other creature you got back from the Graveyard. And it's a pod, so you can just keep doing that every turn, and you can like use Specialist to get back Thales Lieutenant and all these other things. So it adds this sort of grindy, toolboxy element to the deck. Bant's playing uh playing a lot more extraction
1: specialists at the moment as well just because it's more well
0: positioned against
1: um what I think might be a tough matchup like red black and uh, and blue white so yeah they're playing that as well but they're not going to be able to obviously abuse it as hard
0: yeah it's probably not quite as good against blue white because of farewell which we mentioned and portable hole a lot of their removal exiles but against red black especially and also blue red the blue red decks as well a lot of their their plan is like to beat you with cheap removal and when they like. Spend spot removal on your Charming Prince, spend spot removal on your Thales Tent, and then you play one three-drop and get them both back, it is, like, back-breaking against them. To the point where they only really beat you by siding in Graveyard Hate. Which felt weird, as I figured that out in the tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we we played on the weekend, and, yeah, you, the games you beat me were basically the games where you had Hearse in play, and the game three of our semifinal, I won by getting a hostage-taker to (laughs) take your Hearse, and then eventually killing you with it.
1: Hearse won the game. It just wasn't for me. It, uh, yes,
0: unfortunate. <laughs> um, So those are the band versions. The four color versions basically splash for like Judith sometimes or Mantis Rider are the main, or, or four or five color really. Um, what I've seen is them mostly being discussed by people who play modern humans and just trying to like port over that really aggressive style. This is of course enabled by the fact that there are eight tribal lands or, or two sets of tribal lands in Pioneer. So you get a lot of this mana fixing for free. Yeah, and that uh, last set of four, that last place, it was
1: recent from Neon Dynasty,
0: so. right? Yeah, correct. So this is another one of those things, like, this deck didn't exist last time we were playing Pioneer because it has gotten a significant printing. That, and also Extraction Specialist, is from New Competitor, So that's a really recent card that has really opened up this deck. The other direction you can go, less aggro, is to be more grindy and play Black White. This is not that popular, but this is what I played. or well, Black White or Esper. In my case, well, actually, that's not true. There's two different decks here. So there's a black-white aggro deck that doesn't play Pyre or Collected Company, and it's just all aggressive creatures. And as well, because it's only two-color, it has good enough mana to play Dire Tactics is the big draw to it, which is like a two-mana exile spell, which is really good in this format. The other way you can take it, and this deck is not popular, don't expect to play against this unless you play against me, uh, is like an Esper Pyre of Heroes deck. So this is playing... 12 one-drops, but they're all grindy, so they're like Archvane's Vessel, which, if you get it back with Specialist, becomes a 5-5 Flying Demon um, and, like, Bloodsoak Champion. And then playing Priest of Forgotten Gods. So it's a much more grindy, sacrifice-focused version with Pyre of Heroes and a bit more toolboxy, and just really good at grinding. But also, sometimes you have draws that are, like, three one-drops and a Lieutenant, you know? So that's Humans. There's a bunch of different versions. That's one of the decks I'd say, like, is still developing the most.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, still fresh new but it's uh popping up a few pretty pretty regularly in the in the queues
0: so yeah for sure i'd say of the other notable decks niv to light it's a five color ramp deck that plays the five color niv niv uh niv magus niv niv mizzet niv mizzet um and bring to light and it's it's basically like the biggest mid-range deck so it beats like black red for example but it's often a bit slow to beat mono green or the combo decks that kind of thing and niv It Reborn. niv It Reborn. As you can imagine, this deck is even worse against Mono Blue Spirits than Mono Green is, because it's just <laughs> trying to slam five mana Haymakers. Beyond that, I'd say, like, you can build Grixis mid-range decks if you want. You can play... There's a Turbo Titan deck that is, like, trying to polymorph creatures into the giant green Titan of Industry. Um, there's other polymorph decks, like Yorion, especially Fires decks which often try and put Agent of Treachery in play. A lot of the problem with those decks is, like, the payoff isn't actually that good. It often doesn't win the game. Like, it's very possible to put an Agent of Treachery in play and then lose. So, you know, there's ramp decks that ramp into Ataka and Eldrazi. Um, there's, like, Enigmatic Incarnation, which is, like, it's like a weird enchantment that birthing pods, like, enchantments into creatures every turn. But there's there's a huge number of decks. Um, we touched on Grace Fang... I, I've been playing Esper. There's also a Mardu version that is trying to reanimate Parhelion Two, the giant War of the Spark like vehicle that makes angels. That deck can have really explosive turns where you discard it on turn two and then play it on turn three and hit them for thirteen, and have two angels, but it's also vulnerable to graveyard hate. Those are probably the main decks.
1: The only one we haven't talked about yet is uh the Angels deck, which I think could just come out and surprise some people. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to give us a rundown of that? Um, for some reason, somehow, it can go over the top of Mono Monogreen, um, which I didn't think was going to be possible. But, uh, yeah, they just play a bunch of uh, cheap angels. Giada is uh, a new one that can make mana, um, and it puts counters on each angel after you obviously play Giada. Um, but it's also a-, a ramp spell by itself. So, you know, if that doesn't die, they'll have, you know, like 6, 7, or 10... Fourteen angels, <laughs> yep. Um, lots of power, uh, and then it looks to you know combine Collective company with um, with some of the angels that gain life and have triggers. So resplendent angel,
0: yeah. The big one being resplendent angel. The the like two four that whenever a human, uh, whenever an angel or a cleric enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to its toughness. And also bishop of wings, I think it is. is like a two mana one four cleric, and you gain four life whenever an angel enters the battlefield. Mm-hmm. So they can gain a huge amount of life.
1: So first one is Righteous Valkyrie. Both of them have uh, alternate text as well. Uh, one of them is good against sweepers, which Bishop of Wings. All your angels when they die they turn into spirits. I'm pretty sure. And Righteous Valkyrie has an anthem effect if you've gained uh, seven or eight life.
0: If you're seven life, more than your starting life total, yeah.
1: And Resplendent Angel makes uh, makes four fours, which if you've gained four life, which is insane with Giada because they're not four fours, they're eight eights.
0: Fun fact the only match I've played against this deck was with my humans deck, and I beat them by using a hostage shaker to steal first their righteous Valkyrie and then something else that gained life and started (laughs) making angels and double anthemed my team and killed them because I had lifelink. uh, The the other thing about this Esper humans deck is it has eight lifelink creatures, so I just stole it and was already at 27. Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Sick. I think we've covered everything that I've ever seen now. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty good stuff. Pretty much. There's a, Neo, there's a Neoform combo deck as well that like cheats Velomarkus into play with dove Creatures. It's not good. Uh, and there's a Soul Flayer as well. There's a Soul
1: Flayer that combines Grease Fang in it as well, which is kind yeah,
0: of Yeah, you can play like in Soul <laughs> Artifact. You can play Auras of Auras. You can play Ascendancy Combo. You can play like, is it Control? Sorry, Dan, is it Control's not that good anymore. <laughs> So there's a lot of different decks. Definitely go have a look at like the five-o list dumps or the like challenge top thirty twos. I think we've covered basically everything that puts results up in the challenge top thirty twos yeah, though, which is yeah, a good place yeah. to start.
1: Or come and ask a faction member.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Always happy to give tips to recommend decks to people for sure. Dan Papak is a is a wealth of information and he'd love to talk pony. <laughs> <laughs> Dan. Dan was one of the people, there were a few faction members, hit by the bans after having getting really excited and buying a deck, and then they announced the ban. And uh, everyone who bought notice. not that happy. His deck still works. Yeah, to be honest, Blu-ray control, not the worst. That about wraps up the decks. Last little bit we wanted to talk about. Nath, have you got any tips for people returning to paper play? Because we know it's been a while, probably, for a lot of people since they've played paper events. It's been a while since we've had a PPTQ-like system. So what are some of your tips for people coming back to paper now? Yeah,
1: people were highly resilient, uh, resistant to this before, I think. Um, get tokens for your deck. Get dice. Get a piece of paper, right? That, that, if you do that, you're going to miss so many less triggers you're going to be less confused about what the 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 board state looks like. I think in my deck box I've got one of the tokens of everything that the game makes at the moment because I didn't want to get frustrated by uh you know my opponents having a random you know piece of piece of paper or a dice <laughs> representing something. So I think if you want to win a game after having 3 years of of lockdown and a lot of magic online to you know help you with your uh, with your triggers, one of the best things you can do for yourself is get get the right equipment to support it and make it visual um that would that would be my number one thing um other than that obviously practicing in paper um head down a pog thursday nights is uh is pioneer night um big shout out for that um that was phenomenal last week um yeah they're, they're the two big tips you know pick a deck now buy your cards now practice yeah get the tokens that, that that's that's my that's my two cents
0: yeah i'd agree with all that i would add as well as well as practice because you're right like triggers is a big thing you know you and i have played literally hundreds of games of pioneer and we went and played in paper bad (laughs) it wasn't good the other thing i'd say is think about these events and it it might not be quite as relevant for rcqs but honestly even still is remember to bring food or at least like plan how you're going to get food or a drink like these events usually don't have lunch breaks right like and the worst thing ever is to like play a full day play a long win and win and then have to sit down for a top eight and you're just like have been playing magic for five hours haven't had a break haven't eaten anything I think that's something we forget playing at home because there's, like, if I play at home, I'll just, like, go get food between rounds. I'll eat it while I'm playing, that kind of thing.
1: Or I can just burn 10 minutes of my clock if I'm desperate, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so just, like, think about that as we head to RCQs. All right, well, hopefully that's given you a bit of an intro to the format, given you a bit of, you know, a heads up about what to expect, being a little bit informative. Thank you for coming on, Nath, as always. Great to have a chat to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Next week, we'll be back. I don't think there's any tournaments this weekend, so we probably won't have any tournament results to talk about for ourselves, but I'm sure Nathan and I will be playing Pioneer in the interim.
1: Oh, we played just before this. <laughs> yeah, no events, no events this weekend, but there is one the following weekend at, I want to say, Box Hill.
0: Yeah, I think Box Hill Store Championship on Saturday the 9th is Pioneer, so I think you're playing to play that. I unfortunately can't, but hopefully we'll get another couple people down, and that'll be kind of... The one of the first competitive events we had that event last weekend but Mm -hmm. there's a few warm up events in the lead up to RCQs absolutely alright well thank you all for listening we'll be back next week bye Kyle Bye, bye Kyle